Welcome to Beer in a Movie, the podcast where we discuss, there's a lot of art out there, but we discuss the two finest art forms known to humanity, beer and movies, sometimes achieving outstanding pairings, but other times we've just got to wash the terrible taste of failure from our mouths. I'm here every week and my name is Joe Hilliard, along with my brother in beer, Dave Gurney. And this week we have one of our favorites, yeah. absolutely. And it's been a while, I feel like, but it probably hasn't been. If we look at it, it's, it's probably not been, but it feels like it's been too long. Anthony Zocalillo, talk with us about Todd Haynes' this episode, please. Hi, guys. Anthony, it's good to see you again. Good to see you. Do you recall, without me having to look it up, what their last no. uh, installment was? I don't. You were here for something good, I think. He usually is. Dumb I, Money? No, at least something. Have you been yep, here since that? Yeah. That was it. It was Dumb Money. You know, that's- And The Social Network. I'm yeah. sad that that one ends up, I mean, it was a good film, but I feel like it's a little, it's above average, but a little under the cut for the, it's not going to make my end of the year list. I have been putting my end of the year list together yeah. right now. Before you yeah. guys even showed up, I was kind of working on it and Ooh. dumb money better than Napoleon, worse than Napoleon. Like better, these are the questions that I'm asking <laughs> at any rate. Well, uh, let's get some beer in our glasses, guys. Yeah. I went to Ingenious. Uh, we had some last week. Uh, Ingenious, of course, an humble Texas brewery that has closed down yesterday was their last day of operation. But I brought this back... This is a posthumous beer. Exactly. This is the, the first of the last, because yeah. uh, I've got a few more that we'll share over the upcoming weeks. But this is a an IPA. It is called On Comet. I went ahead and picked it from the couple of IPAs that I grabbed, because it was so close to Christmas. Yeah. It's a Christmas-themed beer. Their website says, even Rudolph's nose couldn't light the way through this hazy IPA. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> on good. Citra, on Azaka, on Eureka, <laughs> and on Comet. Those are the hops they used to brew this one. I picked up a Crowler. They filled up this, uh, what, 24 ounces? 32? Is, is a Crowler 32? Two I think pints, it maybe? It, it's exciting. I Again, as we were talking last week, Joe, it's a sad thing when a brewery we love reaches the end point. But I am so thankful to you, Joe, for making it oh. up there in that those last few days to get some of those final brews that they had on tap. Yeah, it was like the floor of Wall Street uh, in there. <laughs> chaotic, long lines, everyone grabbing as much as they could. Uh, but yeah, I'm, looking I'm thinking to like this. late in uh, Wolf of Wall Street where they're like doing backflips and stuff around on the, the trading floor. Mm -hmm. where this one's certainly hazy. Sweet. It looks delicious. Yeah. Nice oh, and head on it. you're getting that tropical nose. Yeah. I mean, as soon as it poured. This is like pineapple, mm. got pineapple juice in a glass. Mm. And that's just hops. They did not add pine. Ingenious, why do you have to go? <laughs> Which number is this? How many ingenious? This will be number 17. Oh, they're going to get to the 20 timers club. Yeah, hope that they do before we uh, say goodbye forever. Wow. This will be one where I think we will just get to 20, though, get, given the, the little stash that you have. Uh, the that We're going to meet out over the next few weeks. I feel like this is one where like Daniel could come along and like surprise us even five years from now. Where right? like, I found this bottle that's been sitting in the back of the uh, <laughs> the fridge, you know, aging. Yeah, and let's not leave it to Daniel if you're listening and would love to be a mule for us. <laughs> we will take any of these rare beers that's off true, of your hands true. and yeah. say your name and maybe even allow you to come on the episode via Zoom and and yeah, let's Please, let's yeah, let's start yeah, dealing. Let's yeah. start dealing. <laughs> well, you know, I'm glad that we have some juicy hazy. IPA and at least based on the nose juicy hazy IPA that we're going to be sipping on because we have, we have a big film to chew on here folks a new film a 2023 film uh, one that landed on streaming platform Netflix a few weeks back that I took notice of 
um, because the director attached to it, the, the person whose project this really is, is Todd Haynes. And Todd Haynes is a filmmaker who I've taken attention of over the years. Mm-hmm. Um, I think probably for me, the film that we're going to talk about in the second half of this episode was the first film of his that I really saw. Uh, later, I went back and I saw his film Poison, um, which I think was kind of his breakout that really got into Sundance, although in an underground sense, and I highly recommend people seeking this out. I know it's online. Really, his first thing of notoriety, he did a version of the Karen Carpenter story using Barbie dolls. Yeah, that was a short film. Came out in 1987. Superstar. Yeah. yeah. You can find that. Anyway, so so kind of an idiosyncratic, underground-ish, coming from the underground filmmaker who came into the mainstream with films that tend to be a little bit offbeat, off-center. He did the Dylan film a few years back that a lot of people are going to... Anyway, so th- this is uh, a filmmaker who I'm intimately aware of, really have liked following throughout the years. This is his latest film, May-December, starring his regular collaborator, Julianne Moore. I think this is their sixth film together. Wow. Um, Natalie Portman. And Natalie Portman portraying uh, an actress who is doing research for playing the role of a character that is loosely modeled on the Mary Kay Letourneau story. I remember. Yeah. we. I think anybody who was that 90s. 90s. I think anybody was 97. Living, right. Anybody who was living through the 90s. It was like that Amy Fisher. What What were some of the, <laughs> you know well, what I, I mean? mean? I remember the Letourneau because yeah. that one was first, maybe. One of the first. After that, there were, I remember like. Amy ev- Smart was one. Every was few that? months there yeah. was a teacher going after That's one right. of their young male usually yes, so, so what we have is you know uh portman Students. playing a character who is researching playing this role of a character who does start an illicit affair with a 13 year old though in this case not a teach not a student teacher relationship this is sort of like uh co-workers, co-workers at, a, at a pet store right at a, at a, at a an animal store and um julianne moore having had that experience back in the 90s her character, that is, with, with the young man, uh, Joe is the, is the huh? character's oh. name. <laughs> but, but here played by Charles Melton, who I didn't know from anything else. Uh-uh. I didn't either. I, I think, you know, he's been in some things. He, he's been kind of a teen star. I think he was on Riverdale, but okay. this is clearly potentially a breakout performance yeah, for him, uh, pu- putting him before a lot of people's eyes. And the basic idea is her going to Savannah, meeting with these people, seeing them. I guess it's about 25 years after the fact. Wikipedia says 23. 23. Okay. Um, So, and it's actually, which is interesting because this film isn't actually set in present day. It's Uh -uh. 2015 that its action is taking place. As they prepare for the youngest children that that couple, the the older co-worker, younger co-worker, the May-December relationship soldiered on. They got married after her prison time. They've had children. Those children, uh, the youngest of those children, are about to graduate from high school. So they're preparing for their high school graduation. Did y'all pause and do math? Um, for, I, I, I had to pause I and do math. I didn't pause it, but I had to do it in my head. And it all works out. No, but it totally it's works funny, out. Yeah. But I was like, hold on. She's this much older. And he was this age when they first got together. Now it's 23 years later. So that means, yeah. And then added to all of that. He was in school when he was 13 with her son, who was also 13. Yes. And then throughout the film, as it unfolds intricately and beautifully, I think. Ooh. Listen to these adjectives, the adverbs that he's applying here. I've been doing some brush up on adverbs just for (laughs) May, December. Uh, Surely. I think that as it unfolds, the tapestry is so big here because we meet her ex that is, of course, her age, more or less. Though a slightly older man. He he was in college and she was in high school when they met. That's right. And then uh, their children together 
the children that he, she has had with the younger man. Now right. they have three kids. I think a set of twins. Right. And then uh, the one that they had at the beginning. The twins are graduating. Yeah. Right. It gets complicated and, and, <laughs> and, and eerie and interesting. And then if the actress that showed up, Natalie Portman, to do the research just adds fuel to some strange fires, some smoldering embers maybe yeah. that have been going on for 23 years or more. I, d- I did the math when the ex kind of came on the scene and then you started to see their kids. Yeah. yeah. And that, that's when I started. I was like, okay. I got confused yeah, a couple of times. It was like, oh, that's a grandkid right. from mm-hmm. this marriage, uh-huh. you know, who's younger than, okay, got yes. it. You know. She started having children relatively young and was I think she was thirty six supposedly when she when met it all began. the thirteen year old Correct. Joe, yeah. but had already had children for like eighteen had an eighteen year old at that point because she had had a child at eighteen and so that you know her daughter was already that much older and was ready. Anyway. Let's just dive into that yeah. opening scene. It's Natalie Portman arriving yeah. where they have made an arrangement where she can come and and spend time with everybody. Shadow her. Shadow her, yeah. yeah. Uh, interview other people that have been right. involved. Everyone's still in the same community, which is a little odd. They didn't up and move nope. uh, away to kind of gain some anonymity or solace or solitude. But uh, she shows up with a box that had been left outside on the front <laughs> gate. And that box, it turns out, is filled with shit. <laughs> and they are so blasé about it. He goes and gets the trash bag yeah. so that they can dispose of it. Got the hand Sprays sanitizer <laughs> in his pocket. Though, hey, wait. Before we get there. Go ahead. Let's. There's an important moment in this film that, especially watching it the second time, my jaw dropped. I, I feel like there are those moments in cinema sometimes where you're like, oh, my God, this is like a perfect movie moment. And the moment I'm talking about, can you guys remember this? That It's when they're doing the party prep stuff. She opens the refrigerator, right. and it and it just sort of zooms in, and 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 this a sting of like thriller music, this, that sting that you hear throughout the film. He uses that over and over, uh-huh. yeah, like piano, just yeah. like this discordant kind of piano. And she says, "I don't think we have enough hot dogs." Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. Cut to there being a hundred hot dogs yes, on the grill. Yes, but that line, yeah. that stab, the the image you cut to right there showed me oh my god this is like a master filmmaker at work here this is i'm I'm in for a treat i laughed out loud i laughed the first time i did too but i laughed again the second time and i even like kind of paused it and thought i'm like my god this is really because it tells you right out of the gate this film is not straightforward okay there is something going on here beyond just telling you a straightforward retelling of the mary Kay letourneau story right and then uh, natalie portman is clearly a famous television actress because everywhere she goes in this small town, everyone's, oh my God, there she is. Oh my God, there yeah. she is. Anyway, Anthony, we haven't even given you an opportunity to speak. <laughs> I'm just taking it all in. I only had the opportunity to see it once. And yeah, me too. I definitely think that this film requires more than one viewing. Okay. Okay. I remember okay. the scene. I don't really remember it having that impact. Okay. But before we start talking about this, I just, what was your impression of, um, what was her name? Elizabeth, right? The actress. That was Natalie uh, Portman. Yeah, Elizabeth yeah. Barry. She obviously was famous and recognizable. Right. From a TV From show. A TV no, sh- Nora's Ark. Yeah. She had, had she been a, like an animal doctor, a veterinarian? I, I, think? I mean, yeah. somebody says something. So, so yeah. was your impression watching that, that she was kind of like a hack? That's a very good question. Um, yes, because I, 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 think I think she is matters. kind of a bad actress. Right, and you have to separate it from Natalie Portman's performance in the movie, which, let me say, is masterful. Uh, but is but she, awkward. Yes. Oh. But is she playing a 
not a bad actress, but a mediocre kind of relegated yeah. to television, can't break into film actress? I think so. Yes, I think you're right. I think you're right. That's how I eventually how I interpret it, because when she first shows up and they're kind of talking about her, you get various characters like, oh, I heard blah, blah, blah story about her. I can't remember. But like, you know, she's a celebrity. All of the men I, have, yes, taken the time to Google her nude her scenes, nude scenes yes. and different things. Yeah. Right. But but eventually, like, it, I, I feel like by the time I get to her delivering the monologue, well, her reading the letter kind of in a dramatic fashion, because yes. towards the end of the film, this is one of the like, I guess a key moment, right? Mm-hmm. Where um, Joe gives her this letter that had been written by Gracie to Joe when he was thirteen. When he years was thirteen, old. right? That right. one of the few things he had held on to because she told him to get rid of them mm-hmm. and like she could get in trouble for them. And she reads it, and it's in this very like florid, like over the top kind of right there. It like tells, and then the final, final bit scene, where yeah. you get, it. oh yeah, yeah. Well, well, yeah. I mean, the end of the film is them shooting a scene, yeah, as her playing now the 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 predator with the actor playing the young version of Joe and they do three or four takes over and over and over again. And the dialogue is so hacky and shitty and the acting is <laughs> shitty. You know, they're making a horrible made for television. She's not that kind of snake. You're right. Movie. <laughs> yeah, um, Natalie Portman turns into Madeline Kahn. <laughs> right. Yeah, she does. Kinda, yeah. She yeah. does a little bit. No, yeah. you're absolutely right. <laughs> Anthony, I'm so glad you're here. Okay. <laughs> Everyone in this film, I'm, I'm sorry, the, the couple, the older woman and the younger boy. Now yeah. he's how old? I guess 13 plus 23, 36-ish uh, yes. now. And she's in her early 60s, maybe. Um, they're both just stunted individuals, correct? And I don't know about him at the time when he was 13, but living in this relationship for 26 years, she is clearly a mother figure. This is my interpretation. Yep. Uh-huh. Who bosses him around like a mom. And prevents him from ever discussing the ethics yeah. that they, depending on which one of them you're at talking to, were, you know, breaking or, you know, yeah. right? They're, they're both stunted individuals, yeah. her certainly. And the Natalie Portman character is sort of his release valve. Like, yeah. it's the first opportunity he has to really talk about, you know, anything. really When they are together yeah, alone, t- yes. because he couldn't do well, that she, in front of her. She's the first person outside this bubble they've created, right? Like Joe said earlier, they've made this choice to stay in this community that they were already part of. And they're surrounded by the people that they already know. And like, so nobody's going to like poke a hole or be an outlet. And you're right. She, it feels like the Aside first person from, from outside. some comments that she hears, you know, people talking over here. Sure, sure. And she has for 30, for 23 years now insulated herself from criticism because Natalie Portman, when she's talking to her, the director, I think, says she has no grief. She has no remorse. And that confuses her because she's living on the surface, a very happy life with her husband, who just happens to be much younger than she is. This movie was, for me anyway, it was a tale of two movies. Like the first half where that, yeah. that veneer was there. Yeah. And then the, the second half where, you know, you could kind of see that the things break down, things start to break down. You see just how vulnerable she is. Yeah. You see her histrionics. Um, yeah. I mean, it's, it's in those private moments. She like, she keeps it together for the public face, but then when she gets alone with Joe, it, she will fall apart and and have the the breakdown and yes and he says over and over again yeah no you don't know her this right. will affect her yeah. we can't say this to her he's become an insulator yeah uh, from this real world and, and it, but he I think is emotionally unequipped to deal with it as well they just play they play act you know I, I was thinking as I was watching this 
there were people, me growing up and, you know, middle class, New Jersey, there were people in our neighborhood that were the weird people. And people just kind of left them alone. Yeah. And, and as I was watching it, that's what I saw. It's like Felt this like horridly this this. torrid affair that people just got tired of, you know, mailing them boxes of shit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, Except for the hardcores. Yeah, they, they, <laughs> the super fans, you know, the super fans. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and and so they were probably, you know, whispers behind their back. But, you yeah. know, in terms of, you know, they're like, all right, well, they're part of the community. They're not troublemakers. And as you said, they're insulated. So it's not like they're impacting the community. So, eh. And they just left them, right. left them alone. Right. And they're very, very nice house. They have an incredible based on nice the jobs house. that they had. <laughs> what, what he was an X-ray tech. He was an X-ray tech, and they she, make decent money, but not probably not that uh, money for Savannah. Well, yeah, not yeah, waterfront yeah, yeah. Savannah yeah, you're property. Right, you're right. It you're appears right. to me because when Natalie Portman shows up at their home and Gracie is giving her the tour, yeah, she says, "Oh, the pool is in progress." Well, then shortly thereafter. During the course of Natalie Portman's visit, the pool is now getting renovated. Mm -hmm. And to me, that was because they had received a sum of money for the life rights rights to to do the story. So I got the impression. And then remember, InStyle Magazine paid for the wedding and that cash helped us. So I feel like they have banked on their uh, on delivering portions of their story to tabloids throughout the whole history. When they needed some cash, they do an interview, did baby photos or whatever, you know, or graduation, whatever it was that they could sell the rights to do. It sounds like we're all kind of positive on this film, which I was I'm I was concerned going into it because it does, I think, lean into the made for TV melodrama version of this story that would have been very easy to make. Right. I mean, I think that this film is definitely in dialogue with that film. It's Todd Haynes doing like a campy over the top, which already there's some camp built into that kind of made for TV melodrama, but he's dialing it up a notch, I think even, but also getting us into thinking about the performative aspects of all of it. And again, bringing in the Natalie Portman as a mediocre actress, bringing in, you know, various elements like the, the constant use, lots of use of mirrors and reflections amazing shots them, amazing yep. shots built with those mirrors Do, like putting on makeup together looking at each other's makeup putting on these masks getting mm-hmm. these faces ready uh, natalie portman's clothing and hairstyles uh, adapting as yeah. she i mean as one might suggest that a, an actress would do in this mm-hmm. assignment you know natalie portman recently did jackie o didn't she yeah, a few a few and, years ago, yeah. And, yeah. you know, we talked about, the, uh, about biopics last week. Yeah. I mean, the actors that do Ray and maybe not Napoleon, uh, although the research <laughs> could be there, uh, are going to try to, you know, find uh, legitimate articles of clothing or spend some time with the subjects. And so I like that whole extra filmmaking exercise of yeah. the entire thing, seeing how that might go down in, in a situation like this to begin with. Yeah, so I, th- I think as just a peek behind the scenes, yeah. too, even though... I think it is like a highly dramatized of kind course. of version, but it's but it's fun to see that. Yeah. Of course, of course. I, I think this movie is so. It, it starts with the script. Sammy Birch. This is uh, her first uh, feature film. But w- the next one coming is really uh, interesting. I, oh, oh, Coyote versus Acme. It got shelved for a little while. It was made by Warner, and I think they were like holding back on it. And I don't know if there was some concern about they didn't like the tone of it or something or. But 
it just recently got announced that it's combining live released. action and animation. The film is based on the character Wile E. Coyote and the Acme Corporation. And he's from the suing Looney Acme Tunes. for having defective. <laughs> yeah, uh, James equipment. Gunn is one of the producers on that film. I, th- I think Will Forte maybe. Interesting. One of the interesting. Live action. There's been a. I think if not a teaser trailer, there's some images going around. Anyway. I'm sure Todd Haynes read this. I don't know the, the exact story of how he came to this material, but I'm sure he read this screenplay and was like, oh, my God, this is right up my alley because he loves playing with melodrama yep. as one at least one of the things that he likes to do. And that this is that all all day. All it day. started with uh, Natalie Portman and Julianne Moore being cast in the film and then Portman recruited Todd Haynes to direct it. Oh, oh wow. smart, yeah. smart on her part. And, okay. Oh, my God. You know, I, I'll just put it out there, guys. I think I've said it before. Julianne Moore, one of my very favorites of all time. She's so good in this. And Natalie Portman is so good in this. Yeah. And uh, Charles Melton, who plays the tw- you know, the younger guy. Oh, fantastic. Guy, so he's, good. He's getting all the awards buzz. Should. And honestly, I don't think he'll win any, like the Academy Award. But I love that he's getting that attention. And I hope it turns into more good roles because I think he's got some talent. He's really good in this. I feel about Julianne Moore how you feel about... Uh, Tilda Swinton. Tilda Swinton. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. She, I, I was <laughs> They're wa- almost on equal footing I, for me. I was watching it. I was like, she's my Tilda Swinton. Yeah, there you go. I got to make right. sure I tell Dave this. She's wonderful. Yeah. yeah. I love her. Uh, the movie's sexually charged. Uh, mm. the, the way that they get caught. Yeah, the way that their affair got caught uh, is they were having sex in the storeroom of right. the pet store and someone walked in on them and then she got arrested. And then the, as Natalie Portman reviews her ex-husband, how did you find out? I found out about like everybody else did. When it was reported. It was yeah. reported on the news. And I was like, what? How does that happen? Why would that happen? But then we begin seeing shades that he was a very domineering. Yeah. And then we begin seeing shades throughout the film. What does she say? Uh, what does Julianne Moore say? I've always been naive. And yes. That, and that has yes. always protected me. Yeah. And then there's two scenes I want to highlight with Natalie Portman in them. One, she goes to the high school class. So she, you know, buddies up with the high school uh, <laughs> yeah. aged daughter of the couple and goes to her theater acting class yeah. in high school to do a. A Q&A. Q&A. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the first question, uh, a couple of jackasses in the back, oh, you ever do some sex scenes? <laughs> and then she answers it so honestly yeah. and so erotically <laughs> to put the kids in their place. Shut up, idiots. But also, yeah. like, this is really forward for a high school class. The same high school, right? Yeah. That yes. they began their affair in. Sure. So the idea that 13-year-old well, boys are sexually charged and would pursue the hot yeah. teacher. See, I wanted to get into the ethics of the whole thing. Do we unanimously agree that there's never a situation where this is acceptable? Where what is acceptable? Well, the idea of a 13-year-old and how old oh, was she when it was going down. not making a movie about it. No, no. The, in, real, all, in, real okay. life, in real <laughs> okay. life. In real life. I think oh. we're all in agreement. Uh, mostly we are. But, you know, I was reading this. I, I was reading this. I was watching this as I was reading uh, Elvis and Me, t- following up from watching yeah, Priscilla. We discussed that in After fall. Hours last weekend. That's right. And so I'm almost done with it. It's so You're easy. When you here. pick it up, it's like, a, yeah, I was going to bring it today, but I still have like 30 pages mm. left. But you pick it up. You can read 100 pages in like a half hour, just like, mm-hmm. and then, you know, hit one of the picture. Uh, it's one of those books that has the like picture sections sure. with the glossy pages. Love it. But thinking about looking through the eyes of a former 13 year old who had been groomed into a long-term relationship elvis a little younger than the woman in this but okay 
closer in age to her. You're right. right. He was in his 20s. He was like 25, 26, mm-hmm. whereas she was like a decade further. That, so a little bit even worse. But still, it's very similar situation, very much controlling in similar ways. That would make an interesting pairing right there, Priscilla and May December. I mean, yeah. it, would, it would be kind of fun to watch those two films back to back and think about the resonances between them. And I think what you see in May, December could help you unpack some of what's in Priscilla, because I think Priscilla, it's very hard for us to see those as masks they're wearing. But I think that would be an interesting lens to bring to that film. Okay, so there's this amazing part. (laughs) After Natalie Portman has sex with the younger (laughs) husband... Oh, hold on. I, I, let's back up. In they have sex in the back of uh, of the of the pet the store. Pet store yeah. Natalie Portman goes to visit the pet store, right, and then tries to figure out where they probably right. did it, and then masturbates yeah. to conclusion, and then just starts laughing like I got the dumbest job in the world. <laughs> I thought it was so it was so awesome. I mean, it was such a tight, great little scene. Then uh, when they're um, putting makeup on one another, yeah, I'm like, oh, she's gonna have sex with her now. It did feel a little bit. But that I, doesn't I happen. No, it doesn't. And it then doesn't. she's with Joe. Yes. And I'm like, oh, they're going to have sex. And then they do. Yes. And a fantastic line. Well, why did we do this? Yeah. Says young, naive, I'm yeah. stunted Joe. Because this is this what, is what grownups yeah, do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that blows his mind. So he goes home to say, hey, you know what? Maybe I was too young. Yeah. And she goes, you started it. To the 13-year-old. Yes, yeah, He's not 13 me. now, but... Yeah, you pursued me. Yeah. Back then, you pursued yeah. me, and that's, of course, when she should have shut it down as <sighs> as an adult. Uh, but she's naive, and her naivety is always... It, this movie... Well, this movie was incredible. I, I want another I wanna... 2023. <laughs> Hurrah! <laughs> yeah. This this the year that keeps wait, giving. Wait, hey, go oh, ahead. No, I want to. Yeah. I want to debate the na- naivete. Okay. A, a yeah, oh, bit. Whether it's a knowing naivete. <sighs> Don't you take it as she's saying that I always present myself as naive? Or do you think it's her saying I am naive? Well, the last scene I have questions about. I, I think she's a garden variety sociopath. So See, she's presenting yeah. herself as, yes, okay. Well, that's my question, Anthony. She's, mental, <laughs> she's <laughs> mentally ill, right? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yes. No, no. I. Yeah, that is part of that facade. Like if, if I kind of come off as blissfully self-aware and yeah. naive – you know, and childlike, you know, people will, whatever. I don't yeah. Forgive or excuse. Yeah. Something. And that wasn't the sense that I okay. got. That, uh, she, that yeah. she was crafting that. Yeah. You know, the, the one thing that you didn't say, which I'm surprised, because up until the, that scene at the school, I I wasn't on board. And I'm, I, I don't think I'm as warm to this movie as you guys okay. are. Okay. Although I I'm, wanted some dissent, yeah. honestly, because but, I know this is not going to be a film that pleases even the majority of the audience. I feel like th- this is asking a lot of being able to accept these shifts in tone and how you feel about the characters. Oh yeah, no, I think that this is a an awkward movie about yeah. an awkward subject. Yes. I think you're right. I think yes. the majority of people who go into this movie thinking that they're just seeing a, a movie about making a movie about this Mary Kay Latourneau-esque type, yeah. Yeah. yeah, are going to be disgusted. Yeah, um, some, 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 to some extent. Yeah. yeah, but definitely disappointed. But one of the things she talks about when she's talking to the kids is about losing the line. You know, she talks about how it is like it's just kind of mechanics and it's choreographed and it's yeah. like you know devoid of any emotion yes, yeah. until it's not. Yeah, yeah. And, and she talks about this losing the line. Mm-hmm. You know, and I thought that from there on 
that became sort of the thing, the lens that I watched this movie through. Yeah, yeah. Because she lost that line, you know, yeah. that objective line. Yeah. Um, I think that that is absolutely true of Julianne Moore. Yeah. Certainly Joe. Oh, yeah. Um, I really felt like that scene tied everything together yeah, for me. Yeah. Because I was, I was like, okay, this is got, this movie's got to do something. <laughs> like, and I, I felt that way at a couple other times. Uh-huh. And, and I don't, I, I don't want to say I didn't like the movie. I did. Mm-hmm. And everything you both said, it's, it looks beautiful. The screenplay is amazing. Yeah. Great acting. Mm-hmm. All of those things are true. But at the end, it left me wanting something else. Okay. Um, okay. I don't know. And I don't know what it is, but it didn't deliver like the emotional gut punch that, I thought maybe it would. Yeah. And that left me a little disappointed. I, I will say, I think watching it the second time, I didn't, I, the first time through, it did not feel like as good of a conclusion as it did the second time. And part of it for me, I think was he, he kind of leaves you hanging on the emotional resolve on Joe and Gracie because he kind of makes it clear. Okay. Things have definitively shifted here. But you don't get to see the aftermath of it. You and don't Joe see- will never be able to get his closure or have the conversation while Gracie continues to act in this manner. And prevent- she'll never. And preventing I, him from being able to have the conversation. And you don't necessarily see any sign that that would ever no, happen. No, no, no. Right. So, so that's kind of hopeless. But it, but you don't get to see that have its end. Instead, you follow the Portman character, as you said, Anthony, earlier seeing her film through various takes of this scene and what did this research, you know, bring and where did it take us? And is it a more authentic? And it looks just like it it's going to, it looks like it's going to turn into a more salacious sure. kind of pseudo erotic kind of version right. of the story to titillate. But they were in the pet store during that scene, right? Yeah. And she's yeah. got a snake out yes, of the cage yes. and she's lying she's in this lying. like negligee oh on a couch that this wouldn't is, exist. So you just spent the last two hours watching this woman build for this role that she should have just been able to do walking in off the street and right. saying, like, G- give me the, you know, like, Mae West version of mm-hmm. a uh, Mary Kay Letourneau or something. Oh. The um, final point that I wanted to make sure I got out. This is one film, rare film, where I will not say I wish I had seen this in the theater. <laughs> no, seriously, it looked great, but it looked great on a small screen in the made-for-TV melodrama element of it made it feel totally appropriate. I felt like I could have stumbled upon this on, like, the Hallmark Channel at least tonally at some time. And then I would have been like, oh, this is a really cool one. But anyway, little point, it felt all right on a smaller screen for me. What what I was going to say was the movie turned into what everybody feared it was going yes. to turn yeah, into yeah, yeah, that yeah. she assured that wasn't what it was going to <laughs> yes, turn into. Yes, absolutely. Um, so at the end, it just oh became that sort of salacious. I just want to revisit something you talked about, Anthony, and that is um, that Joe gives her a letter that grace had written him back when he was 13 years old and after she has sex with him and kicks his ass out she hurries to read that letter the next scene is her performing a monologue version of that letter the way an actress would i was i was i couldn't it was riveted she was she it was so excellent yeah her in that moment Mm -hmm. not only the screenwriter's words that Mm -hmm. they had put into that letter which were completely i mean this is when you're like oh come on adult yeah (laughs) you don't do this to a 13 year old the 13 year old can't 
understand yeah. the difference between this and that. But could that- she? I mean, that's the other. Like, that's- she's a damaged person, and the stuff with the. I mean, we didn't even get into that. Like, there's this little subplot of the son trying to sell information or kind of give away some information in hopes that he could get a music supervisor gig. <laughs> on when the- you say son, you mean the uh, her, her, her son, son from, from her the- first marriage. Georgie. Yes, right, right Georgie. Georgie. Yes, the, the one that would have been in school with the boy right. she had the affair. Which with. his scene. Th- that's He's, a fun was scene riveting. when he comes over. He was amazing, and he gets in. You know. Uh, Portman's face and yeah. he's kind of like eating her food and it's it was it was a pretty good scene he he did well whoever that actor is uh, I, I should pay attention and David I'll point this mostly to you because you've seen it twice I intend on watching this one again in the comfort of my own home with Netflix uh, right there there it is it is the very last scene they are at the twins graduation now they're going to have an empty nest when the the last two of their three kids leave for college and she had had sex with the the husband already and Georgie had told her that her mom was just fucked up. My mom's crazy. Yeah. And you know why that started, right? And it, he, he mentioned some incestual stuff that yeah. went on with her brothers back when she was, right. was 12. 12 or 13, yeah. Julianne Moore reveals to Natalie Portman, I don't know why Georgie says that. Oh, you talked to Georgie? I talk to Georgie every, every day. day. Yeah. And I'm a secure person. And then there's that thriller music staying yeah, again yeah, yeah. And, and a look on not, Natalie Portman's yes, face like yes like, like her I, earth I, has just been rocked but I didn't understand why her earth would be rocked because I figured Natalie Portman by that moment had already come to the conclusion that this girl's nuts that, that Julianne Moore's nuts she had wow. become the naive that Julianne yeah. Moore was pretending to do you be. think that that's what it was I and that Julianne Moore the whole I time I think she was taking on that character I think it's fascinating because you hear it is she's not playing the woman she's playing the character the woman plays she's picking up the character that Julianne Moore's been playing all those years and tries playing that back to her that, that's and and is you know sort of method acting it I, that's oh, how that's I what you it. thought was happening to an extent I think okay. that's going on there's also the element I think of hearing this story from Georgie that gift wrapped an explanation yeah like we think about childhood trauma and right, at, right. A, about the age that Joe and into was. the marriage that she got into, yep. which was probably pretty dominating. But but you know this idea of you know childhood trauma, stunted growth, yeah. right? So if she emotionally never progressed past that period, then she might ne- be interested in another thirteen. Well, year old. now the whole age of the younger person becomes more understandable. So when I saw that, I was like, I thought it like kind of poked a hole in it, yeah. and and that that was where I kind of was like, that's why that she kind of looked a little rock because I think she kind of foreclosed on what that like what she thought the story was and now like oh shit maybe 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 this isn't true yeah um, but you said it good right she was playing she wasn't playing uh gracie she was playing the character right. that gracie was playing yeah, yeah and so who that was again yeah. whether grossly naive or you know blissfully self-aware yeah. or not self-aware or, or yeah or again garden variety sociopath yeah. Yeah. like well what is your conclusion uh psychologist i read it garden variety sociopath yeah. that's that's kind of how how stemming from maybe that childhood trauma well no that yeah i i mean i don't know i i that's a good question on well, sociopathy is typically born in childhood trauma is no it? it could be typically yeah. typically uh, is what i'm saying i mean it's it's yes as i tell yes. the psychologist what yeah. i know uh, yes uh, do go on <laughs> activated by it is that is that like it would just oh you think you're well i'm thinking are there are there people who are predisposed and then a tr- and traumatic event happens and it triggers it in one you're, I don't right, know. you're looking at the wrong guy yeah. where's pam yeah, where, yeah. Where's, yeah. Okay. all right we're, we're getting off on, on weird path. 
but but interesting. I think all of us would say this is a film worth looking at, yeah. and it, and obviously it stimulates these kind of conversations about like what you know, like oh, what does it I, mean? What is the true person? What is the true self that's wanting to do this thing versus the performance of the self versus the? You know, I think this yeah. movie requires time to sit with it when it's yeah. done, and I think the movie then the next day after you've had a night to sleep on it requires conversation, and I love a movie like that. Yeah. Speaking of conversation, do you want to hold this for after hours? But I have one little more note on my card and that is you want to revisit licorice pizza for about two minutes (laughs) i'm not kidding around because that was one of the first things i thought of was you and i's david again she was a little younger than uh than uh moore's character yeah they were very close in age even if she was technically an adult closer to elvis and priscilla if we're uh if if we're doing that comparison but yeah that's a funny one no let's put a pin in that and talk after hours i'm writing it down i want to bring up two really quick points just to close this out because i want to kind of hear what david has to say about both of these i'll I'll go to the bathroom no no yeah i don't yeah just just be quiet joe no because he's seen it twice yeah so you said that you were kind of watching it right that you don't get that emotional resolve between gracie and joe right right so how did you then take because we haven't even talked about joe's hobby yeah like the yes. butterfly yeah the on yeah. the nose uh, metaphor yeah the, yeah the so on the nose metaphor <laughs> like disturbingly on the that, nose that's where it feels uh some of the most made for tv melodrama yes. of it all and but it's presented very cinematically and beautiful oh, sure yeah. no they're beautiful shots so yeah. so i kind of took that as my cue to sort of in my head like this was going to deteriorate he was going to he was going to evolve out of that yeah. you know and become the butterfly and yeah. and go meet up with his the, hobby the being, internet girlfriend right. you know that he right. had formed a relationship over the yes right. and then the other thing is did any of you get a real like a vibe like todd haynes was giving a little side eye to netflix like the true <laughs> the true crime like oh yeah um like, yes i think <laughs> like i i think there is definitely uh, i think anytime you do something like this like the making of a true crime, like it gets into that like what are the ethics of doing this i mean you see what it turns into she ends up like even if we want to believe that this actress elizabeth goes into it with the best of intentions and wants to make art and and something that will make people understand these people's experience in a deeper way it ends up looking like it's going to become a, a cinemax after dark sort of thing. you know what i mean <laughs> yeah so th- that right there i feel like is a Yes, like if we're going to do this stuff, let's own up to we're kind of just titillating yep. the audience with these true crime stories. I get that. I get yep. that. Yeah, I think it's there. I loved it. Well, I love this beer, too. Oh, I mean, I, I, I hate to like you st- know. step on a transition, but <laughs> to me, as I've taken every sip during this conversation, I'm like such a light and fruity, juicy IPA. I mean, I'm just ingenious. Why? Why? <laughs> if a beer, if a Brewery making beer of this caliber can't make it work. That's real sad. And I, and I, I want to think it's just because of circumstance and there's something beyond their control because it's not about the quality of the beer that no. they or how popular it was. I didn't mention it when we talked when we opened it up. It's an eight point one. I didn't say that out loud. Ooh, buddy. All right. <laughs> Thanks. I always, I always uh, when it's, it, it has also an oat cream. Double. Oh, so, yeah, it's real smooth. Yeah, it's very good. Whenever I like something, I always think, oh, they're going to hate it. <laughs> did, wait, uh, but did, I did enjoy this. Yay! So, so it's always, always, well, we know that IPAs aren't your yeah, go-to. N- no, and we had, um, I remember 
couple times ago when I was here. And I think it maybe it wasn't when David was here. We had, we did an IPA that I love, but it was a juicy, a real juicy IPA. And I was like, oh, I really enjoy this. Same, similar with it. Very nice. Yep. Dr. Juice. I bet that's, yep. that has to be what it was mm. that we did alongside uh, American Psycho. Oh yeah. Cause it was, de- it was definitely episode when we recorded at your 221. house. Nice. Ah, oh, what a great Love first it. half. Yeah. That we talked yeah. and talked. More hey. Todd Haynes, I hope. Well, that's what I'm, I'm excited to uh, hear what you guys think about some of his past work. Well, let's get into it when we get back. We're back. Yes. And we need to get beer in our glasses to talk another Todd Haynes film. It is set in the UK. It's very much a UK film. And Joe has brought to us a UK beer. I picked it up about a month ago because I knew we'd do some Christmas beers in December, but we never got around to that one. And the one that we did not get around to is called Bad Elf Winter's Ale. This beer, they say, a little malt, a little hops, and lots of holiday troublemaking. This elf is so bad, it's way good. Old England meets the new world in this strong, warming golden ale, though. They say it's strong, but it's not that high in ABV. Four and a half. So this is, uh, you know, on the lighter end, but a seasonal ale that we didn't quite get to in the heart of the season, though. I think if you count like the 12 days of Christmas, we're just barely past the Christmas season. I think the UK <laughs> tie-in makes it totally work. There we go. Right on. So we're going to be drinking some Bad Elf Winter's Ale. A Winter's Ale is not a style that I, I know of. The style they call it on the website here I'm looking at is Hoppy Beer. Okay. <laughs> Which I'm I don't sold. know that I've ever just seen. But that's, I'm sold. But it, it does seem to be an ale. Well, let's so. uh, trust that this will be a perfect companion to Velvet Goldmine. This mm-hmm. is the Todd Haynes film from 1998. He wrote it. He directed it. Um, it's set in Britain during the kind of birth of glam rock, glitter rock in the early 70s. It tells the story of a fictional kind of, you know, ambiguously sexual pop star, Brian Slade, played by Jonathan Reese Myers. And then other stars that were born in that same period, Kurt Wilde, played by Ewan McGregor, is one of them. And in the middle of the mix, as a fan of the music, is Christian Bale as Arthur Stewart. Now, the first scene of the film shows a uh, hoax assassination of Brian Slade, right. who, come on, guys, is a stand-in for David Bowie. Bowie's the the biggest it's character. Gotta he's be. He's he's got the uh, what is it? Morgan Demon. Wait, something. Maxwell Demon. Maxwell uh-huh. Demon. That's and the his Venus character. And Ziggy Stardust. That's clearly yes. Ziggy Stardust. Right. Yeah. And uh, so, right there on stage, he's shot in the audience and dies on. So, well, a couple of days later, it's revealed that it's a hoax, and his career goes right in the toilet when fans and the uh, the press revolt against that. Fast forward to 1984, Arthur Stewart. Christian Bale's all grown up. He's a journalist and he's been asked to write an article about the withdrawal from public life of Brian Slade after this whole debacle with his career. And he's interviewing people of Citizen Kane style. (laughs) I mean, I when I saw this film back in 98 right, Uh or whatever. I did not have the Citizen Kane references top okay. of mind. Like I, I sat, I did not have my real Kane experience probably until about a year or two later. So I that went over my head at the time. Right. Instead of saying, where is Rosebud? He's saying, where are the spiders? <laughs> All right. Sorry. Sorry. Boo. I, okay. 
You gotta, you gotta, you gotta swing. Glamrock is great. I'm, I, I, I oh, love God, the hell yeah. this, this Honestly, this film kind of introduced me to quite a bit of Glamrock in a serious way, in the sense that I, I knew of some of it, but I was not a serious fan of it. The Eno and the Roxy music that get, cause they couldn't use Bowie. He didn't want to have his stuff in this. He said disparaging things about the film mm-hmm. later on. Did he? Yes. He did. He oh. did. <laughs> well, I mean, they're playing around with your story. Yeah, and yeah, I'm yeah. sure like whatever, but he, he didn't want his music used, but they do use Eno. They do use Roxy music. They use some, uh, a few others. And then they also have some original compositions done Lou by, Reed. yes, guys, uh, Shudder to Thing. Got a fantastic band, soundtrack. Yeah. Right. And can I tell you something? Yeah. I own the soundtrack. They've never seen this movie. Really? I, it's gross. It was one of those. That is gross, David. Well, I don't know if it's gross. It's uh, just, I mean, it's that's just a... always been on the list, but never made it to the top. And I was so excited to finally visit wow. it. And, then, and and I'll tell you now. Anthony, had you seen this before? You said you hadn't, actually. I had not. No. Right. I'm so I'm, glad, I'm so glad that I did just to be able to discuss it with you guys. While he's doing these interviews to write his story, uh, he visits with Tony Collette playing Mandy Slade, Brian Slade's wife. Through that whole kind of rise to fame, uh, his first manager that he he's, gets to a point in his management where right. then Eddie Izzard as Jerry Devine <laughs> steps in to yeah. take over management to even launch him into a larger star. A bit of a fairy tale movie, and well, I mean, you have this whole uh, funny uh, prologue yeah. with uh, a spaceship delivering a brooch to, or what? What is that piece of jewelry? It's a pin, it's a, pin. a little yeah. lapel pin, um, the, to, uh, an emerald jewel with an infant uh, Oscar Wilde, Oscar Wilde. Uh, arriving on the doorstep of the family that would adopt it. I mean. And that being this totem that gets carried along yeah. throughout the film, passed from creative genius to creative genius, you know. Yeah, and uh, so it's a twisty, windy story going forward and backward in time. A lot of really beautiful images to kind of denote well, the glam rock era. Yeah, the I glam mean, rock yeah, era, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, the, I mean the extremes of the costumes, the extremes. Of, the, I mean, this produced film, in part by Michael Stipe. Yep. That's right. The man just had a birthday too. He's he's getting up there. Sixty four. Yeah, that's cr- when I when I see those those ones like hit me. I'm like, oh my god. Right. So those what's the frequency, uh, David, on this film? <laughs> oh shit. <laughs> Carter Burwell does the music. Yeah. Who we discussed, I think, last year. Banshees of Inisherin. You're right. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Very nice. Okay, well, so, I mean, this is a film that I had seen back then, and I and I think it may have been a film where the soundtrack sold me on it as much as knowing anything, because I think this was the first Todd Haynes film, as I said b- before, that I, that I ever encountered. And to me, I just loved the mix of songs that they picked, the, mm-hmm. the, the couple Eno songs that are Babies on Fire and Needle Through the Camel's Eye. Like, the, all of these songs i really love and the stuff that they wrote for it's pretty good it's like passable you got tom york yes. singing some of it nope. people from pulp this is like a really cool version of what could we do to recreate a glam rock moment in recording studios in the, the 90s yeah, the, the, venus, the costuming yeah. i mean all of it the like, venus and furs band yeah you know and the writing of the music was tom york and johnny greenwood that's right you know, so yeah a wild. And remember, this was before it was a sure thing that Radiohead was going to be the things that they were. Before it was a sure thing Christian Bale would go on to have the career that right. he would. Before Ewan McGregor would become who he did. I think of all of them, Reese Myers maybe has had the most sort of like he's not gone as far as I thought he might have at one moment. I thought he could right. have been an even bigger star. He has had some prominent roles. He had a series for a while. I know that people are really nuts about. So, um, but but here, like at a young at young ages, very a lot of people, and not to mention, I just even skipped Tony Collette. 
I mean, Mm -hmm. she's one of the best of all time. Hereditary. (laughs) I mean, seriously, I I said it then. I'll say it again. I she she made that movie in so many ways for me. And she's she's great in this. Yeah. Ewan McGregor um, and Christian Bale both had some degree of success prior to this. Sure. Um, Oh, yeah. Train spotting. spotting. Shallow grave. This is only like one year before Star Wars. Like one one year before. You know, Ewan McGregor is Obi-Wan. And it's only two, and year, two, two years before Christian Bale is Batman? American Psycho. Oh, no, American, American Psycho. Psycho. Okay. And so, what, like four, three or four from Batman? Three or four yeah. from Batman. Yeah. So It's you know, post-Empire of the Sun. I will not allow anyone to think that if they hadn't seen that movie, they didn't know Christian <laughs> sure, Bale was going to sure. be a big, big thing. Please, newsies. <laughs> okay. you're, you're right. But you never know when those child stars yeah. are going to make the transition. It's a, It's an interesting film from that standpoint. But looking back on it, from when I saw it then, I have a much greater appreciation for what it's doing in terms of storytelling. I feel like the Citizen Kane framework, it wasn't apparent to me in the way that it is now. Not that you have to enjoy that to be able to enjoy the movie, but it helps. It's part of the puzzle of the film. Well, is like each interview gives layers of information required to understand right. the full story. Well, and, and I think, you know, as with most people with Citizen Kane or Rashomon or whatever, these stories that we get the multiple perspectives from different characters – I think always the point is there is no one set of facts. There's always just how like different parts of it got experienced by different people within the situation. It's it lets you give up on the fact that you never learn who the although you do kind of. I mean, but what do you think about the choice to have a different character play the Tommy character at the end it was confusing and then i finally figured out what they were trying to do right i mean they basically they say it i mean like it, christian bale confronts him there in that press conference mm-hmm. and, and it becomes clear what he's thinking has happened but it's a weird choice it's an interesting choice that they decided not to have reese myers play the tommy was tommy, tommy stone, stone tommy stone character i think the key to this movie is <laughs> christian bale's not just a fan Christian Bale is no, he got involved. Uh, he's, he was right in the middle of this. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, he was the disaffected youth struggling with sexuality that this movement was talking to. Yeah, you know, he was the he was the child who had the repressed parents. Yeah, um, you know, who denounced homosexuality. You know, you know, he was the person who was sneaking out of the house. You know, to go to these you know glam rock shows. Uh, you know, he had relationships mm-hmm. you know as we saw you know with uh kurt wild with yeah. kurt wild like he, he wasn't he wasn't a fan i mean he was a fan right but, but he, he was he was in it in it well it kind of gets to how he, he isn't a fan but he is a fan in the sense that like fans have these deep attachments to these movements these you know whatever it is that they are fans of that becomes very important in their lives and for a, a guy coming of age when he was with the particular, you know, identity traits that he was already like sort of manifesting, it was the perfect expression at the perfect time. And 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 it's a magic moment in certain ways. I mean, it's very this film, as you said, Joe, kind of moves around in time. And when we're seeing a lot of that stuff going on in the uh set in the late sixties, early seventies, it's very vibrant, it's very exciting, it's very lush, the makeup, the costumes, everything. Yeah. What we see in the 80s, drab. <laughs> like run to, it's so business, uh-huh. it's so like I mean Tommy Stone's a little eccentric, but very much in the way that like 
David Bowie had like sort of reined himself yeah. into the pop icon that he became circa 1983, uh-huh. right? You know, like Let's Dance. Yeah, I was going to say the yeah. Let's Dance. Exactly. I mean, that's you look at those characters and they're very similar, you know, in terms of what they look like. They're, they're, uh, I mean, the, the title card starts with a quote from Ziggy Stardust. Mm-hmm. I mean, that, mm-hmm. you know, so it's, it, it's not hiding. No, you know, no, 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 no. At well, all. Well, it's called Velvet Goldmine. Yeah. And that, yes. But, but they don't tri- use the song Velvet yep. Goldmine. <laughs> you know, and I mean, even just, you know, Maxwell Denton and the Venus in first. Like it's it's just the same cadence as <laughs> yes. David uh well, Ziggy Stardust and, and the Spiders, Spiders of Mars. Mars. Yeah. So I mean it is it's not trying to hide it. No. And I'm glad. I'm I'm you know what? I'm glad. Yeah. Um because it almost gave me this frame of reference to watch it. But there are and and it does bring in enough. I like that they're kind of composited enough. I think that the Reese Miles char- mm. character, Maxwell Demon slash, you know, Brian, Brian Slade slash um, Tommy Stone that, you know, I think that character is certainly so closely aligned to David Bowie and in, in so many ways it's hard to deny. But, you know, the others like Kurt Wilde, definitely Iggy Pop the yeah. most, but there's elements of some other figures that you could kind of throw in there. And, and certainly with, uh, Christian Bale. There's no exact corollary, but there's so many like it's it's just a fun era to kind of see depicted at the time. I remember this being somewhat not controversial, but at least like notable for its depiction of sex. Did you guys find it at all like charged in a way or do you feel Mm, like at this point? Because we're looking back through a lens. This this is exactly what I want to talk about because. All right. So you're two years younger than me. So I would have been 28 when this came out. Okay. You would have been 26. You would have been the, early 20s. You, I, you I was 20, 20. Okay. Yeah. The one thing that I could not escape watching this was a deep, deep yearning that I was watching it in 1998. Oh, like, wow. Yeah. Like that was the, like, <laughs> yeah. because I could think back of like what this was saying in 1998 you know, the message, but there was nothing shocking about this. No, you know, not the, now. You know, and certainly as much so. Well, as a, represent, as a representation of that lifestyle, I feel it was probably presented very accurately. Well, and it gets into questions of like what the sexuality, I mean, the Kurt Wilde character, I think early in the film has like this, it's like a news clip, you know, they, they've caught him outside or whatever, a concert and he's talking to the crowd and he's saying like, I think that people you know, put on that they're gay, but I don't know that they really are. And they're just playing around. Well, if they are playing around, they'll quickly learn when they are, because if you're not doing actual gay sex, it's, you know, then you're going to be found out to be a poser. Right. Yeah. Something along those Mm -hmm. lines. Yeah. That people are pretending to be this way, which may very well have been true, but it's an interesting and Mm, may very well been said in 2024. True. And but something that like, I think in the in 1998, came across as very like, I haven't heard somebody say this in a film yeah. before. I haven't heard this kind of uh, sentiment expressed by a character. And I don't know how what he was talking about there is any different than any other movement. Like, it's that's what happens. Is, yeah. is people, you know, get get subsumed by that movement. Something they, becomes popular. They I try it on. They yeah. try it on. Yeah. They see if it fits. If yeah. it does, you know. Yeah. Which, which I, like I said, I think is where yeah. a lot of young people are right now. Yeah. And I guess I should say maybe that's a strictly Amer- more of an American thing as as we have become less puritanical about this subject in particular. Yeah, uh, we're there's still a going lot of uh, experimentation yeah. with okay, well if we're gonna 
increase the boundaries, then maybe I am within them. And you know, and you know what? I'm going to land where I probably need to, to land, land whenever yeah. all is said and done. Yeah, I, I, I don't mind that yeah. at all. For for me, growing up, right, it was like when I think about sort of how music shaped my identity, and I, I'm thinking about you know what was I listening to, you know, in like high school into like college, right? That like maybe like. I don't know, 15 to 23. I, and I don't know why, right? You had a lot of that synth pop, right? Mm-hmm. The whole Depeche Mode, that that was a whole thing. I'll bring it. Yeah, and I, I, was, I, I chose that for you. Uh-huh, yeah. uh-huh, um, uh-huh, uh-huh. But also, you know, hardcore and punk. Yeah. Certainly there were people who identified with that and there yeah. that was a scene. Yes, um, yeah, definitely. And then even then going into grunge, right? Yeah. And, and like yeah. kind of, obviously there was a lot more. I never, you know, I, I tried all those on, because mm. I like the music and I still like the music. Yeah. But, you know, I was never. Never a single scene that totally. I, yeah. Just did, I, you know, it was never nonsense. both feet into the pool. No, I never became an anarchist. Right. I mean, I think the closest that ever, like when I was very, and I, not that I ever like got extreme, but I think like early getting into punk was a true separation where I felt like, oh, this is music that like my parents would never listen to and that they would never seek out and that I'm really enjoying and I uh-huh. want to hear. And so that, that I think stood out as a moment where I was, but it quickly turned into me listening to other things. Metal a little bit. Yeah, I was going to say that was, that was metal and punk yeah. for me and it was mine. That, mm-hmm. that was, that was what it was. That it was, was your avenue. And I did, it was, I, no, it was mine. Like he said, it was, you know, like pop music of the day you know, top 40 radio, whatever, it whatever was. it was, yeah. right. That was still accessible. It was still stuff that would be parent approved. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, well, not every, not, not every household, no. but, but a lot. Oh, of, well, yeah. yeah. Maybe well, not your household. But, well, no, I mean, but, even Elvis, when he was top of the pops, how many people, parents and grandparents yeah. were, that's the devil's music. And how often do we do that every single <laughs> year? But, but I mean, metal and punk and hardcore, right. They were mine. They, yeah. they were mine. They yeah, were things yeah, that yeah. my parents would never understand. I, I'm, they I'm never, with you. I'm yeah. With you. you know, and again, right. Never jumping in with both feet, but kind of identifying with the themes, identifying, you know, the disaffected youth, you know, yeah. all of those sorts of things. I think as close as I would have ever felt was like maybe my, my feeling about how much I liked the band Fugazi, yeah. that it felt like a very pure love because I loved how their music sounded. And I think they were decent people who wanted people to have like what they needed in life. And it felt like they were genuinely trying to help the world and make things peaceful. I don't know. I, as, I think, think we quit reviewing the movie. Yeah, as, as, as somebody who came a little bit before you, I had the same feeling about Minor Threat. So, you know, I guess I want to see that movie that does like the DC hardcore treatment for Velvet Goldmine. What, what would you call it? Out of step? That would be it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. You could do something. Anyway. The, the movie is lovely. Yeah. It's a pastiche. Good. Okay. We, it's we a like pastiche of interesting visuals, yeah. interesting story, a bit of a mystery that is a, a bit of a red, red MacGuffin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I think it's just Todd Haynes clearly uh, was at the forefront of new queer cinema, yeah. Uh, yeah. backed with Poison and... Uh, what was the next one? Safe, Safe I guess. No, that was, that was a different yeah. Uh, topic. Not, yeah, but but still very uh, button pushing. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. It just is joy. It's joyful. It's a perfect party movie. I'm going to say that. Uh, if mm-hmm. I, in fact, it, if oh, this is a good party over, yeah, You're right. I'm the throwing... orgy scene. Let that come on. <laughs> oh, sure. Hey, that's this kind of party, <laughs> huh, Joe? What are you? What... <laughs> uh, can I sniff cocaine off your buttocks? <laughs> yeah, this. Definitely would be a party movie. Yeah. You know, 
a lot of, a so lot. your first time but my you know, first time I, I liked it very yeah, much oh, I, in fact i got a 48 hour window with my rental i intend I, on I, watching it again before instead of watching may december twice i watched this choice nice, uh, you can watch nice. may december yep. again for um, free that's why i did it because i did the 48 hour rental so i was like i could watch may december again yeah, I, th- at I, any point. I think valve goldmine uh, might be spooling again this evening and this, touching back on our film for, from the first half a lot of the same themes of like putting on different yeah. characters, different identities, performing roles, the attachments you develop to people in real life attached to those roles. The guy has been consistent in the thematic stuff that he likes to dig into with his with his films. And so it ma- makes perfect sense that he's making May, December at this point. And I, I'm not, I, you know, I'm not a Todd Haynes fan. Uh-huh. Like a, it is a hit and miss sort of but thing. Th- but this episode uh, must prove to you that he's at least oh, worth talking about. No, no, I, I've never I've never you know, detested. Yeah, det- it's, it's, <laughs> no, no. And I haven't seen all of the stuff. And, and certainly yeah. if this episode has taught me anything is maybe I do want to go back and see some of that yeah. other stuff. I, I do. You know, I, I talked a little bit with David about Far From Heaven and I haven't seen that in a very, very long, probably when it came out and I yeah. didn't care for it. Maybe I didn't. Maybe, I, maybe yeah. I need to put some fresh eyes on that. Yeah. But I, I did. I really, I really enjoyed Velvet Goldmine. 2002, Far From Heaven. Yeah, that sounds about yeah. right. Mm-hmm. It's been a long time since I've had that kind of like happiness as I was watching oh, a really? film. Yeah, yeah, oh, it, nice. No, no, it was a, it was a, a very, very unique experience. Yeah, it, um, it, do is. you remember it coming out? Do no, you rem- okay, no. I you remember the soundtrack being a thing, but that's- well, I, I remember it coming out. I remember Sean McClain, our frequent guest. He uh, liked it. Oh my god. The soundtrack, certainly, but uh, he was always an advocate for the oh. film. Uh, he I and like I Sean. make the kind of jokes where he might have said something like, uh, Ewan McGregor's penis deserves a supporting actor <laughs> nomination, uh, which in 1998 yeah. would have been a little strange. Not for Ewan McGregor, because that was his trick in Transpiring as well. Yeah. And, and I think he did it in the Greenway film, <laughs> Pillow Book. I mean, like, it, yeah, he, he was he was known for being willing to do full frontal in the 90s, at least. I think we need a penis. Call you in. <laughs> well, or Barry Keegan, it turns out. <laughs> oh, yeah. but, it, but again, it's great to see like this film did. It not just holds up as a great film about a moment in time that at this point we're far enough removed from and none of us got to live directly through in a way. That you know, like it's it's hard to recreate, but I think this film does some pretty nice work. It does. Do, doing yeah. some of that costuming is critical, but in also film. is a snapshot of a moment yep. in the '90s that was oh, like oh. the proving ground of Haynes and uh, Reese Myers and Bale and uh, McGregor. Yeah, McGregor. I mean, Tony Collette. Collette. Look at this cast; uh-huh. it's amazing. That that is an amazing cast. It's like and, a, a dazed and confused situation. I, I yeah, I probably was aware of it when it came out. And then I forgot about it. And when we were talking about, well, what do we want to pair it? My comment was, well, if we're going to pair it with another Tom Hayes film, the only thing that I want to see is Velvet Goldmine. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I thought that it would be crickets. Like, I, I, <laughs> no, I, no, 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 no. Um, it was an opportunity for me to finally yeah, see it. So and... I'm glad. I'm glad we. Well, I think, it. and I'm glad too because I do think we we talked about some other potential thematic connections I put out to die for as another um, indie film about Gus um, yes yeah. right about that one directly about a teacher and a student relationship but they're nicole kidman have you seen today yes before? yeah anyway Joaquin thought, Phoenix. thought that would be a good thematic pairing mm-hmm. but i'm glad we did haynes as like an uh, auteur yeah, because right to me haynes is one of the most interesting filmmakers and i'm glad at least even if you don't love his films necessarily you see him as somebody who makes interesting mm. di- films worth Talking, talking about, about. Yeah, yeah 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 i guess am i am i the person who gets invited whenever we do a film that has gary glitter music oh in it? Is that, you're is, right is that you know is that a thing this, you look at the timing and this is he was just being kind of convicted <laughs> yeah. i think as 
stuff was going on the, for the first time. That story <laughs> is the worst, absolute worst story you could ever imagine. That's the one that if you made like, you know how Iron Claw, I don't know if it, those who listen, did you see Iron Claw? I have not, no. But how I said it had to dial back how tragic that story was right. just to make it palatable to us as audiences because you couldn't show. I feel the same way about that story. Yeah. You'd have to pull it back. It's there's no The Velvet Underground around 2021. I had skipped it. It's on Apple TV. I could watch it tonight if I wanted yeah. to. That's one I should check out. You, I think you liked The Velvet Underground. Oh, I love, well, not the, only, the, the, the Todd Haynes not only film. do I love the Todd Haynes film, I love the band, sure. but yes, the, the film on Apple, if you haven't watched have it not. yet, that's something that Get you on need it? to, yeah, I yeah, will. yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, did, we got on the Bad Elf, yeah. uh, was sitting in the fridge for four or five weeks, right, ready for a Christmas episode that never came. Uh, it's opportunity for us <laughs> to Christmas drink it. That never came. Uh, it's a strange, uh, non-style. It's, uh, just a beer from England that is certainly an AL 4.5. What y'all got? What'd you think? I, I didn't know what to expect. I thought it was going to have some Christmas notes or something like that, but it didn't deliver anything like that. I think it's tough coming off that last beer, honestly. Like, I, I this is one of those episodes where I feel like we downgraded. Uh, you shifted down yeah. at least. Yeah. I mean, this feels like a very middle of the road. Like, very, I don't even know. It's like slightly bitter. Yeah. Honestly, I think there's probably a pretty decent beer here, but in comparison to what we just had, it feels so flat and kind of monotone that I'm having trouble get. And I, I hate saying that because I don't know if it's the beer or if it's my palate right now. What do you, how do you guys feel? I know on one of the episodes I described a, a beer, I use the term a noner. And it's a, it's a term <laughs> yeah. a, a friend of mine uses to describe people who they meet and immediately forget about because there's nothing about them that is memorable. Okay. Noner. <laughs> it's a little undercarbonated. I'll say that. No matter what I, I have to say about the flip, it's got like a slight bitter note there, which I think is the hop character mm -hmm. coming through. It is a hoppy beer, right? Isn't it? It the style? is, but it's like a very like, meh, like yeah. Just I, a, I don't. I don't hate it, uh, but I won't seek it out. The winter's. I don't know what's wintry about yeah. this. This isn't. It's not strong, so that doesn't. Well, okay. Yeah. You don't. You don't hate noners. That's, a, that's that. That's how you become that's a right. noner. There's okay. no strong emotional attachment. Ambivalency. Either way. Okay, yes. I'm with you. It's a, it's a pretty bottle. You know what I mean? No, seriously. <laughs> it, I, I can understand true. why people buy this for each other, and it's got the mistletoe on it. It feels like right. That's mistletoe or, or holly. Holly. Um, it feels very festive. I feel there's a beer review in some of the words that we just said. <laughs> okay. Uh, we are going to continue this conversation in after hours. You can go to patreon.com slash beer in a movie podcast. And that's where we are probably going to talk about movies and beer, but so much more. I have got some opinions about the commercials that are sneaking into streaming that I want to talk about and some salt burn cocktails that I saw Ooh. on social media. They all include coconut milk. Uh, Anthony, I'm going to ask you about your movie, uh, your music adventures, because I know you're such a live music guy. Uh, and if you made any New Year's resolutions and then what are we going to watch next week? David, we have some choices ahead of us. And I think you guys are headed back to work tomorrow. And I want to get your take on what it feels like to do that after a nice Christmas break. That's only one place for the conversation to continue. We're on Facebook. We're on Instagram. Just look for Beer in a Movie, the old good, good old-fashioned black and white logo. You can go to our website, beerinamoviepodcast.com, where you can do all kinds of things, including listen to the episode, but also buy some merch. We got all the things you would expect us to, mugs, 
T-shirts, stickers, all, <laughs> all, all, the, all the fun stuff. Uh, put a sticker on your Hydro Flask if you haven't done that yet. And do it right now. Right now, you're listening to the podcast. Wherever you are, just pick up your phone, pick up your computer, and put five stars and leave a review. It helps us so much. Uh, helps that algorithm, of course, do what it do. And we have just enjoyed a Todd Haynes-filled, complex, but satisfying episode. <laughs> of beer in a movie until next time i don't think we have enough hot dogs